today is about generosity, but from a different point of view than we often see it. So today I'm going to look at three different things regarding generosity. First, we're going to look at a few other examples from other scriptures of what God is saying regarding generosity. Second, we're going to look at today's passage of the main text about a Christian worker's right to be supported financially. And then third, we're going to look from that same text at how Paul gave up his right, actually gave that up for the sake of the gospel. This is sometimes kind of an uncomfortable thing to talk about <laughs> uh, because we tend to be pretty private about our finances. And also there's a lot of abuse in this area. Uh, I, in our, the church I, that Rachel and I both attended in Amherst, the policy was no preaching about money because it was such an anti-Christian environment there that there was such a re re reputation that Christians are just all after money. But the thing is, Jesus spent a lot of time talking about money. <laughs> and so we do want that part of our life under the lordship of Christ, even if we sometimes feel a little embarrassed and we don't want to look like money grubbers or something like that. Uh, we do want to look at what Jesus has to say uh, about this. We don't want to neglect this aspect of God's word. L let me just pray here. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the teaching of your word. Thank you, thank you that you don't leave us to just figure everything out without any direction. Thank you, Lord, that your word is true and is living and active. Lord, give us insight into your word and bring us to be applying this into our lives individually and as a church. We thank you, Lord God. Amen. So let's look at a few different places where God commands and encourages financial generosity. Uh, three different passages. Uh, first off, let's look at 2 Corinthians 8. And all these passages I'm doing from English Standard Version. You can follow along if you want, or you can just look on the slides. I, I pretty much have everything up there. Um, this is an example of churches in Macedonia that Paul is talking about in, this, in the next letter to the Corinthians. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul is collecting money for the poor believers in Jerusalem. It's not money he's collecting for himself, but for poor believer, believers in Jerusalem. And he tells the church in Corinth about how the churches in Macedonia were exemplary in their giving. And I love this picture. So 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 5. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Very interesting passage. Let some notes on this. Uh, verse 1 you see, it, Paul talks about the grace of God that has been given to, to, given to them. Giving is a grace of God. For you to be able to give, that's a grace of God. It's from God. On our own, we can't give. On our own, we have to hold on to everything. So if you're able to give, that's God's grace. That's God's blessing in your life to do that. It's a gift of God to be able to be generous with others. So that's a grace from God. Second point in verse number two, you see there, uh, their abundance of joy led to their generosity. Giving is in response to joy. 
often fundraising letters you feel like giving is in response to guilt and pressure. That's not how it was for the Macedonian church. Come on, guys. Come on, we have these needs. No, that wasn't his attitude. It was out of overflowing joy. They knew they were saved. They had such joy in the gospel that it just overflowed to be giving. It overflowed uh, to be giving in this way. Um, they were so full of joy, they gave generously. And even as it's written in the next chapter, I don't have the verse up here, uh, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When we are living our lives in the gospel full of joy, resting in God, it's natural to be giving. Because we're not afraid, we're not grabbing on to everything ourselves. We're full of joy. We can give. Now, a third point here, also in verse 2, giving is possible even in the midst of affliction and extreme poverty. That's amazing. I mean, verse 2 says, for in a severe test of affliction and their extreme poverty has overflowed. Normally you think, well, giving is for people who have plenty. <laughs> it's for people who have an abundance. For me, oh, I'm really tight right now. One thing that living on support can be very humbling as a missionary. I remember one friend was supporting me while he was working his way through seminary. He was giving us money every month, and it wasn't a trivial amount. And that humbled me because I didn't do anything like that when I was struggling financially. I thought, wow, that's, that's a great example. <laughs> that even in the midst of struggle and lack that we can do this. Um, now, we still need to provide for our own household. <laughs> this is not something of, oh, neglect my household so that I give to the church. That's ungodly. Um, God says in 1 Timothy 5.8, for if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith, the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So we are called to provide for our families, but even in extreme poverty, we can give generously. That's even possible. Uh, by God's grace, like happened to the Macedonian church. A fourth point here is giving is according to your means or even beyond your means. In verse 4, in verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. The amount varies from person to person. That's, that's fine. Um, that's appropriate. But it's not something of, oh, I can't give anything. Everyone can give something. <laughs> even kids can give something. Uh, but according to your means, it might vary. And also in verse, verses 3 and 4, giving is of your own accord. Um, uh, and it's at the end of verse 3, it says, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for their favor and taking part in the release, relief of the saints. Um, it was of their own accord. It wasn't in response to obligation. It was their own accord, their choice. And even they were begging earnestly for the favor of doing it. Do you often see people begging, please, I need to give. Please let me give. But yet that's what the Macedonian church was doing. They were begging. They were so eager to share in serving and helping the saints, the poor saints in Jerusalem. They were begging for opportunities to do it. I, that's, that's challenging to me. <laughs> I don't normally beg to give. Um, and then finally, verse 5, uh, their giving is first to God and then to people. Verse 5, and, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord 
and then by the will of God to us. Now, the money might physically move from the giver to the recipient, but really the giving is to God. The giving is to God. You're giving to God's work, and it happens to be a human being that's doing that. (laughs) Uh, But the giving is to God. So this starts from God. It starts with grace from God, and it's enabled by God along the way, and it's to God in the end. Giving is all about God. It's not about you. It's not about the needs. It's about God. We can say, oh, the needs are so great. No, God is so great. That's why we give. And because our salvation is so great, that's why we give. It's out of overflow of that. It's all about God. It's all about God. So this passage is inspiring and it's challenging of that example of the church. Let's look at another passage also. Uh, The giving demonstrates that you trust God to take care of your needs. In Luke 12, Jesus is telling his disciples not to be anxious. The main passage is all about not being anxious. Jesus explains how God feeds the birds and clothes the grass. And if he feeds the birds and takes care of the grass, then surely he will take care of your needs. But his conclusion is about generosity. Luke 12, 32 to 34. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide, for your, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God will take care of our needs. And that frees us up to give. That frees us up to give because we know God is taking care of us. If you're living in fear, oh no, I... I don't know what might happen. Got to make sure to have a lot of money in my emergency fund, a lot of money in my 401k and in my IRA because I don't know what might happen. I don't want to be a bag lady when I'm old. I won't. Um, bag man, maybe. Uh, but, um, but I won't be a bag dad. Ha, ha. Um, <laughs> you have to go north of us to be a bag dad. But um, God will take care of our needs, and that frees us up. Because if you're worried, you can't give. You have to take care of yourself if you're worried. But if you know God is taking care of you, you can say, this is okay. Now, that's with money. It's with service. It's with a lot of stuff. If you're paranoid about my own family, will they do okay? Then you can't serve anyone else. If you say, you know, God is really blessing and taking care of my family. I can serve in other ways in the church as well. <laughs> so service and also, and also with money. Um, Given that God takes care of the birds of the sky, you can trust him. And you can be free with your possessions. You can demonstrate your faith by giving things away. That's a challenge. That's not easy. That's not natural. Now, another passage also where God talks about giving is in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. Storing up treasures in heaven. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's amazing. Jesus is saying by our actions, we can actually save up treasures in heaven. And in fact, he commands us to do it. 
Sometimes people say, oh, no, I'm not doing this for the reward. I'm just doing this for God's glory. Then why did Jesus say, store up reward? He's saying, think about that. That's good. That's motivating. But notice his appeal here is not, oh, be noble and selfless. His appeal is, be smart. Don't invest in Confederate currency. Don't invest in Venezuelan currency that is 500% inflation every year. That's, that's stupid. <laughs> Why would you invest in something that's going to be worthless in just a few decades? <laughs> invest in something that's going to be worthwhile for millions and millions of years. I mean, that's just being smart. <laughs> that's just being intelligent. So Jesus is appealing, just act in your own interest with this. <laughs> And store up treasures in heaven. That's being, that's having a long-term view. That's being intelligent. That you can, and also by Jesus saying here, we can, by our money, actually do things like that. And by our actions. Now, there are other passages about the wisdom of saving money, the wisdom of planning for the future. Like Joseph, in, in Egypt, seven years of plenty, did lots of savings. Um, so that is prudent. That is wise. But we're foolish and stupid if we're just planning for this earth. We're foolish and stupid if we're only planning for this earth. So these are just a sample of a lot of different passages about how God is exhorting us and inspiring us to giving. Now let's go to today's passage. So today's passage, so, um, so if you could do the next one. So today's passage in 1 Corinthians deals with another reason to be generous in giving. Um, and this reason gets less publicity, <laughs> tends to be less of an emphasis, uh, but it's the main focus of the passage. And the reason is give because it's the right of Christian workers to be supported. Uh, it's a right of workers to be supported. So I'll go uh, uh, through this part. Uh, let's, actually, I see here Paul's giving six different reasons, six different reasons for supporting Christian workers. And he argues for something. He really does a complete argument. Uh, it's really quite nice. Uh, so the context here, again, is it seems the Corinthian church had some doubts about Paul's authority as an apostle. Part of that is because he wasn't getting money from them. And so he was explaining how this all works. So the first reason is in these first six verses, um, God, uh, Paul explains why a Christian worker has a right to be supported is that he's called by God. Uh, so Paul says here, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have you not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the, my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I? Who, must, who have no right to refrain from working for a living. So Paul and Barnabas sometimes were making tents as they were traveling. So they were earning money by their, by their own hands. And he's saying, you know, hey, I'm an apostle. He's established he's an apostle. Jesus appeared to him. He has the authority. He's an authoritative apostle, like the 12, actually writing scripture. Um, there are other apostles in the New Testament. They're kind of like, lowercase a, apostles, like Barnabas and Timothy and Titus, who were sent out to plant churches, where that's their main work vocationally was 
going out and planting churches. But I think we can also legitimately say a pastor is sent by God to lead a church. So apostle means one who is sent. So a, a, a pastor could fit in this category. And a missionary is sent by God to establish new churches or to do other practical work or other assistance to people. And the church has a responsibility based on a passage like this to support its leaders, its pastors, its evangelists, its missionaries. And he also says he has a right to take along a wife. Um, I think that means that he has a right that his wife is along and he gets enough support to also support his wife. Uh, and, and so it's like, wow, Paul claiming, I'm an apostle. Come on, guys. <laughs> you should be able to be supporting me on that basis. Um, a second argument he has, look at the next one, is verse 7, that it's the usual custom. It's the second argument. Um, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? And who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Now, the United States says we have an all-volunteer army. But that's like they sign up themselves. They're not drafted. They're not working for no money. <laughs> uh, I, the U.S. military wouldn't do so well if we didn't pay them. Uh, that's normal. A soldier gets paid for his work. Who goes to war and saves up money for that privilege? I mean, that's just not normal. Or a farmer or a shepherd. It's normal that their material needs are met by their occupation. That's, that's normal. That's normally how it's done. And like even for me, that's part of how I see that some of our financial support comes from my business. That makes sense. I'm working. I'm putting in time. I'm running a real business. It's appropriate and normal that I get some of my money that I need from that. Um, uh, that's the normal custom. And so that's part of God, Paul's argument. That's the normal custom. And then uh, another argument that Paul uses in verses 8 to 11 is that this fits God's law. This fits God's law, verses 8 to 11. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So now oxen at that point, um, normally when they're, when, they're, um, when they're doing this type of work with the grain, their work is to separate the grain from the husk. husks. And Israelites would spread out the grain on the ground, and the oxen would be tied to a large stone and would go around, but the oxen are like standing, walking on the grain. And so it's, it's cruel to have muzzled the ox so he can't eat. He's working, there's food right there, and he can't even eat any of it. And so uh, that's with the Old Testament law. But Paul is saying, come on, are we talking about oxen here? No, we're talking about God's people. That uh, for Paul to... For, for, and, and, and so for something like this, for the preacher to be preaching with a muzzle on, I mean, the sound doesn't sound very good, uh, but, uh, uh, but that he should be able to share in that. That's normal. And so the principle is a person ought to earn his living from his labor. If you work hard at something, normally you should get some money from that, especially if that's the only thing that you're doing. Um, and, and verse 11, is it such a big deal if we, have be if we have material benefit from all this spiritual stuff we're doing with you all? So that's part of uh, Paul's argument here. So, and then fourth, in verse 12, 
Paul argues, hey, it was done for others. If others have this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? It's like, hey, you've helped others. You've supported others with this. That also shows it's normal. So, you know, it would be normal for us to do it too. And then also another argument here in verse 13 is supporting ministry is also the pattern from the Old Testament. So skipping down to verse 13, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacred offering and the sacrificial offerings? At that point in the Old Testament times with the priests, people would make an offering. The priests would burn some of it, but they would take a lot of it. The offering was feeding the priests, was taking care of their families and their needs. So that's the Old Testament pattern. Um, so that meant that the priest was freed up to be focused on working at the temple and wasn't needing to be a farmer on the side uh, in order to, to make his ends meet with this. And then Paul's final argument with this is in verse 14. Jesus ordained it. Uh, verse 14, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Now, this is probably from Matthew 10. If you look at the next passage, probably from Matthew 10, where Jesus sent out the 12 apostles. On Matthew 10, verses 9 to 11, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, as in don't save up anything before the trip, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. The apostles are being sent out with no extra money. They just go somewhere and expect those people to house them and feed them. That takes faith. <laughs> That's a challenge to live like that. Now, often, especially pastors of big churches, when they travel, they travel with their staff. It's a kind of different staff. Uh, but um, I don't travel with my staff, just with my wife and kids. Uh, but... Um, and so my staff comforts me also. Uh, but, but with that, we're supposed to depend on the people that we're going to. And that requires faith, and it's challenging, and it's humbling. Um, and it's good for Christian workers to be dependent upon other believers or dependent on those that they're ministering to. It's a vulnerable position to be in, but it's a good position to be in. Uh, sometimes people say, oh, Peter, what is it like living by faith? It's like, Everyone lives by faith. <laughs> I mean, it's, we're all living by faith. There's nothing fundamentally different, but just, yeah, I'm depending on gifts from God's people, but the guy who works for IBM is also living by faith because IBM could go bankrupt or fire him. <laughs> so it's not like my faith needs to be so much bigger than somebody else's. It's like, no, it's, we're all living by faith, uh, and we're all trying to act in that way. But overall, in this passage in 1 Corinthians, you see Paul making a powerful argument for why Christian workers should be supported financially. But yet, he gives up this right in Corinth. <laughs> he makes a whole argument for it and then says, but I'm not doing it. So, uh, so then, again, looking there, yeah, 1 Corinthians 9, 12 to 14, the second part of verse 12, uh, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. What mattered to Paul is the gospel, that the gospel would not be hindered. Um, and so he was determining in Corinth, now what is better for the gospel? To get my right of support from the Corinthian church or to give that up? 
and be supported by other churches and by uh, his tent-making work. And he was trying to evaluate what is better. I don't know, maybe the Corinthian church would have been turned off by Paul's financial need. I'm not sure. But he said, no, this is my right, and I gave it up. But I think it's reasonable to analyze that in our situation. Okay, imagine the Wiedenhefts living in a broken-down shack with a really lousy old car. Would that be credit to the gospel? Would that help them in ministering to the church here? I don't think that would (laughs) really be great for the gospel. Or how about if they were living in a $5 million beautiful mansion and were driving Mercedes, multiple Mercedes, SUVs, and beautiful Lamborghinis and stuff. Would that have been a credit to the gospel also? I don't think it would be. (laughs) I don't think that would facilitate their service to the church either. And so Paul is saying, given this situation, what's going to be best for the gospel? Not what's best for my comfort. What's best for the gospel? What's going to move the gospel forward? And in a human sense, actually all giving is giving up your rights. You get this salary. It is your right to have it. There's nothing that says you absolutely need to give this to other people. So you're laying down your rights whenever you give. Uh, and, but also, ultimately, this is all God's money. I'm just a steward of it. That struck me when I did work with humanitarian work, where the United Nations would put like hundreds of thousands of dollars in our organization bank account. And so I had access to millions, and not a penny of it was mine. And I felt like, yeah, that's, that's the kingdom of God. Even all the money that's in the account that has my actual name on it, this is not my money. <laughs> in some sense it is, but this is God's money. How can I use this for the gospel? How can I serve my family? How can I uh, enjoy the blessings that God has given? And how can I be generous? Uh, Paul laid down his life for the Corinthians, and he did it joyfully, and he expected them to do the same. Now, of course, there are lots of dangers and possible abuses here. Like one possible danger or abuse is believing that faithful Christian workers should be poor. Uh, We have friends who say, yeah, the churches in their area say, uh, God will keep you humble and we will keep you poor. (laughs) It's kind of the attitude. And I don't think that's the biblical standard. Paul really argues against that here. Now, the opposite is also an abuse, that faithful Christian workers should be rich. Watch some of the guys on TV, you get that impression. (laughs) Uh, It's like, no, if you're faithfully following God, that's not going to make you rich. It's going to make you having your needs met, but uh, Christian workers being rich is a shame to the gospel Uh, in in this day and age. Really uh, ends up being a problem. Um, Another possible abuse is saying that self-support is better than being supported by others. I see this among some missionaries that say, I don't, or even it scares some people away from being missionaries, saying, I can't go around asking for money. I'll just, I'll just get a job overseas that will meet all my needs. Well, you know, that works in some places. It doesn't work in Mauritania. It doesn't work in Liberia. It might work in Saudi Arabia. Uh, but even then, people I know, missionaries that are fully supported from their jobs, tend to make their decisions based on what's good for their job, not what's good for ministry. And if they lose their job, they leave the country. And if they, their job isn't paying enough, they get a second job. And I say, guys, are you here for ministry? 
then, because uh, if you say, no, I must be self-supporting, I, I count that as an abuse. Um, and also an abuse here, or wrong way to look at it, is believing that full-time Christian work is the only real ministry. Are you, are you a real Christian? Then you're a pastor or a missionary. Or you have electrical power on you. Um, and so, um, yeah, so a real minister, or if you're really as zealous for God, then you're going to be full-time. It's like, no, no, not at all. Uh, there are plenty of passionate, effective uh, people serving God at every level of the church. And that's so important to have that. If, if all volunteers stopped working for the church, churches would fall apart all over. <laughs> I mean, we, we so much need uh, that. Um, now, another abuse, which isn't quite as common, is giving away all your money. And I don't see that's what God is normally calling us to either. Um, it's not common abuse because nobody really wants to do it. <laughs> um, as I read before, we are commanded to provide for our families. And there are scriptures about planning ahead, being prudent with our money, being wise. But the main point with Paul giving up his rights is avoiding obstacles for the gospel. That's the deciding factor, not something, this is our right. No, what's going to advance the gospel? What's going to help this? Paul's spirituality is evidenced by his willingness to lay down his rights, to lay down his rights for the gospel. And then think about, for you, for a community Bible church, for your life, for your workplace, for your neighborhood, what are hindrances for the gospel? What are maybe some rights that you need to lay down in order for the gospel to go forward more effectively in Ossining, in this general area, in your neighborhood. Some examples of friends of mine. I know people who live in the inner city, and they don't like living in the inner city so much. It's not an easy place to live, but that's their passion for ministry. And they've got normal jobs and stuff, but they're, they're, they're reaching out through being in that neighborhood. Um, or other friends. I have a friend with six kids and a high-paying job, and he lives significantly below his means so that he can support missionaries a lot. So these are a lot of missionaries that he's supporting, and he made lifestyle decisions of real sacrificing, giving up his rights in order to serve. Um, and so, uh, and also just being generous with your possessions. You own stuff. Maybe your, your neighbor's... Uh, your neighbor's lawnmower is on the fritz, and you lend him yours, even though you know he might not take care of it. And you say, this is mine, but I'm going to be generous possessions, even when they're not all, not all being taken care of really well. Um, this is not about you. Paul makes clear as he sacrifices, he gives up his rights. It's not about him. It's not about his rights. It's about the gospel. It's about Jesus. It's about God. He is the focus. If he is the focus for our lives, these other things come into place. When we have passion for Jesus, it affects our money. It affects our decisions. It affects our time, how we live our lives. Uh, for Paul, it meant traveling around to plant churches and often needing to work at a secular occupation at the same time. For you, I don't know what it means. You need to seek God about that. Uh, for the Macedonian churches, it meant giving generously beyond their means. Uh, but ultimately, so let's look at the last verse, uh, Matthew 16, verses 24 to 25. Um, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is a priority. Following Jesus means denying yourself, means giving up rights to your possessions so that God can be calling the shots. And that's a wonderful, joyful place to be. It's a place of peace because God is taking care of you. It's a place of joy because we're experiencing the gospel and we're responding to that in giving up our rights and serving others. So God calls us to be supporting Christian workers. He calls us to be generous and he calls us to be laying down our rights. This is all part of the Christian life. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the amazing example of people like Paul that were so generous and were laying down their lives for the gospel. Lord, we thank you for the examples like the Macedonian church that was so generous in the midst of affliction and extreme poverty. Lord, bring us to be people that are generous, generous with our time, generous with our money, uh, that, are, that are faithfully uh, using the gifts that you have given to us. Lord, this is a challenge to all of us. Oh, Lord, bring us to run in the path of your commands. Bring us to be filled with joy and to respond in joy to what you have done in our lives. We love you and we praise you, Lord God Almighty. Amen.